Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're digging into the hidden history of plant science. <laughs> Are we digging, like, literally? Like, I'm going to go get a trowel. There's no need for gardening tools, but we're going on a mission to unearth the buried stories of black scientists. And we have a very special botanist to guide us down to the roots of plant science. Sean Abrahams has been on a lifelong journey to study plants and the people behind them. My personal view is I don't think you can be a scientist without engaging in the world around you and knowing the human part of our science. Sean is a botanist or plant scientist who uses they, them pronouns. They've always been curious about the human part of science, and they've loved plants since they were a kid. I had two modes as a kid. I was either outside kicking up rocks, climbing palm trees, doing the thing in South Florida, or I was glued to the front of my television <laughs> watching Discovery Channel, National Geographic, anything that had like cool animals or facts. I was the kind of kid that was like, oh, did you know? I always had a fact for everyone who came around me. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have to confess, I still am that kind of kid. <laughs> I bet a lot of our listeners are that kind of kid. Anyhow, there was one scene from a nature documentary about plants that made a huge impression on Sean. There was a time-lapse video of this vine crawling across the forest floor and climbing up a tree looking for light and it's like waving around trying to find the little ray of light coming down through the canopy and it blew my mind. As you can see, the vine is actively searching on the jungle floor for something. Could it be a friend? <laughs> that was the scene that set Sean on their path to become a botanist. Was Sean the vine friend? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, plants are alive. I get it now. I understand what everyone has been saying. This is super cool. And since then, I, I couldn't get enough of them. In school, Sean was eager to learn about the plants they loved and the people who studied them. So when they learned about the story of a famous botanist, they had an important question. I was a young little black kid and I was like, what? Who, where am I in this? If I was back in time, where would I be during when Gregor Mendel is figuring out the, you know, the genetics of peas? Where would I be in this moment? Would I be a scientist? Would I be someone who could do this research? Oh, that's really interesting. So they were like, where do I fit into this story? Yeah. And to find the answer, Sean started digging on the Internet. I did a lot of Wikipediaing at the time in middle school. I'd, I'd go on and I'd be like, okay, well, is there any black person in this area? Or I'd be doing a research paper and I'd want to kind of find myself. Sean didn't have an easy time finding themselves in science. They're pretty unique. Well, I'm a non-binary person, so I try not to, I don't really put my style into too many boxes. I have long hair, I wear earrings, I have tattoos, but I also, you know, I love color, I love florals. I like to think of myself as a Pokemon grass gym leader. I think that is like the, probably the, <laughs> the most <laughs> accurate version of myself. Okay, I, 
I have to confess, despite many years teaching school, I have no idea what a Pokemon Grass Gym leader is. Is it like you lead the grass in workouts? No. (laughs) It's the surface, Marshall. Oh, so the grass is made the the grass is made of gym or the (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's one of those things if you know, you know. Sure. (laughs) Listeners, let me know. I'm curious. Anyhow, Sean was looking for scientists that they could relate to, and they came up dry. I couldn't find anyone who looked like me who were doing the things that I was interested in doing, even though people would say, oh, you know, you have George Washington Carver. I'd be like, oh, great, but I don't want to study, you know, peanuts. Peanuts are great, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yes, George Washington Carver, everyone's favorite peanut scientist. (laughs) For some reason, I always thought George Washington Carver invented peanut butter, but he didn't. He actually invented 300 other uses for peanuts. (laughs) That's a lot of uses. (laughs) Yeah, it was like... Peanut foods, peanut medicines, peanut writing ink. (laughs) Did he have a peanut suit? Like made out of the shells, (laughs) kind of stitched together? He definitely could have. (laughs) Anyhow, Sean didn't want to follow in George Washington Carver's peanutty footsteps. I was like, oh, I didn't want to be a farmer. I don't want to study crops. I don't want to do that. I want to study like rare, you know, vines in the trap. I want to study the Venus flytraps of the world, right? But then you, you learn a bit more about these plants and you realize, oh, all plants are cool. As Sean took a closer look at the world's plants, they also became more determined to find examples of black botanists beyond George Washington Carver. So after this quick break, we'll find out how Sean discovered the history and the people behind two very cool plants. We're back. And Sean's getting serious about finding black botanists in history. But... They found that that history had a way of keeping black scientists hidden. But a lot of people aren't written about. Black and indigenous people, enslaved people, colonized people who were involved in a lot of these early scientific discoveries, but their names weren't written down anywhere or they weren't included um, in a lot of places. So Sean tried a different approach. So maybe I can go through the plants and then find these kind of hidden stories that way. So starting with a plant name and then finding out who was involved with it? That's really interesting. So what did Sean find? We're going to talk about two of their favorite discoveries, starting with a plant we're probably all familiar with in some way, the vanilla orchid. So if you eat a vanilla cupcake, that's that's because the vanilla orchid is around and could produce that. Right, so this is a flower that's responsible for everything that tastes like vanilla, like ice cream, yellow cake, um, vanilla cake, vanilla. (laughs) Yes, everything that smells like vanilla, too. Orchids are a family of flowers that are prized for their delicate blooms and fragrant smells. The vanilla orchid grows as a vine, and it has large greenish-yellow flowers. Today, its seed is everywhere. Even if you go to the grocery store, you'll find like a little packet of vanilla bean. So the vanilla bean is the seed for the vanilla orchid. Yeah, but in the wild, the vanilla orchid doesn't make tons of seeds, or even one seed. 
very easily. So the vanilla orchid is very hard <laughs> to get to produce seed, and seed is where we get a lot of the, the, the vanilla flavoring for cooking. But if the orchid doesn't make seeds easily, how, how do we get so many? Well, we have someone named Edmund Albius to thank for that. The enslaved man, Edmund Albius, actually he was a, he was a child when he discovered how to pollinate uh, the vanilla orchid. So how did an enslaved child figure out how to get the vanilla orchid to make vanilla beans? Slavery is one of the worst situations anyone can be born into, so how did he manage to accomplish that? It is pretty incredible, but Edmund Albius pollinated vanilla orchids with a blade of grass and a gentle little move with his thumbs. See, at the time he was living on a plantation in the French colony of Réunion, off the coast of Africa, where the French had been trying to pollinate the vanilla orchid with no success. But Edmund had picked up some botanical knowledge, and he simply did what botanists had spent over a hundred years trying to do. Um, and in pollinating the flower, he's able to produce an industry of creating vanilla, right? Wow, so Edmund is literally the reason why we have vanilla everything. Yes, from perfumes to candles to so many tasty foods. Imagine your life without a vanilla cupcake. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to keep the vanilla cupcakes. <laughs> so Edmund and the Vanilla Orchid story is from 19th century Africa. Now let's fast forward 100 years to Sean's next hidden plant history in America. One story uh, is a plant called Salvia splendens, um, also known as scarlet sage. Salvia splendens is a popular plant grown in gardens. It has bushy leaves and stalks of striking scarlet blooms. It was studied by Marie Clark Taylor, who was the first woman to get a PhD in botany. Dr. Marie Clark, she was a professor at Howard University and head of the botany department there. So Howard is a historically black college. Marie Clark Taylor was getting her start in the 1940s and 50s. So a pioneering time to be black and female in science. That's before the civil rights movement. So she was dealing with a lot of discrimination. She took salvia splendens and exposed it to different periods of light to see if that changed when the plant bloomed. She wanted to understand how flowers respond to light, but her biggest legacy is bringing a different kind of light into the classroom. She introduced the use of the um, light microscope in the classroom, uh, something that is used to today. And so what's the light microscope? Is it different from the heavy one? <laughs> no, light, like light you can see. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it can be any weight. <laughs> it's the kind of microscope you find in science classrooms. It's got a viewfinder and it beams light onto a magnified slide. Um, and so the light microscope allows you to get very close to plant tissues and look at the different cells that are inside the plant. Oh, yeah, I've seen those. <laughs> and they are all kinds of weights. <laughs> all kinds of sizes. <laughs> Usually like medium heavy. <laughs> so I feel like light microscopes are such a big part of the science classroom. I had no idea that it was 
a botanist who made it happen, who studied pretty red flowers. <laughs> Me either. But think about it. Marie Clark Taylor came from studying this one plant to share her love of botany with students. And she's touched hundreds of thousands of people way beyond her own time in the classroom. But I never heard her name before Sean told me about her. Well, why is that? Like, why do we hear so much about certain scientists and not about many others? That's a really good question. And here's what Sean says. I think... In general, we like telling stories as if there's one superhero who, you know, has all the answers and, you know, comes up with the scientific innovation all on their own. But every scientist is building on the information and the help and the infrastructure that's around them. Sean wants to show that there's scientists from all different kinds of backgrounds that don't necessarily fit the mold of the scientists we hear most about. That's why they want to share these stories. Let's talk about what it means to be a scientist and that you, yes, you can also be a scientist even if uh, you don't look like the scientist that you've seen before or even if you don't look like Charles Darwin or Galileo or whomever, right? Einstein. It sounds like that's what Sean wanted to hear when they were doing all of their Wikipedia research in school. Totally. And they've taken that on themselves now that they're a botanist to think about how to add to the stories we tell about scientists, who they are, and what they do. What responsibilities do I have as a scientist? What responsibility do I have to to shake up the system, right? To say, hey, we're not talking about this. We need to be talking about this. Or, hey, we're not highlighting these people. These people should be highlighted because it matters. It matters so much to Sean that being a plant science historian has kind of become their second job. Some days I wish I could just, you know, forget about it all and only do the science. And I'd probably be a lot more (laughs) productive um, in terms of my research. But the value towards science, because, you know, and we know this now more than ever, that diversity, human diversity in science and in all of our endeavors is a net good. What does Sean mean by that, a net good? They mean it makes science better on the whole. Bringing people of different perspectives, able to look at a problem differently and and bring their full selves to answering questions, allows us to come up with novel and interesting solutions to things we wouldn't otherwise. In other words, diversity brings more ways to solve problems in science. So that might explain why Edmund Albius was able to pollinate the vanilla orchid when no one else could. Or why Marie Clark Taylor was like, let's let kids use microscopes to learn, even if they're a little heavy. (laughs) Yeah. So do we need to take microscopes to every plant we see? (laughs) No. Sean says you can explore the diversity of plants, starting in the grocery store, where you'll find Edmund Albius's vanilla bean and so much more. Because a lot of plants, you don't, until you taste it, until you use your tongue, until you crush it up in your hands and you smell it, until you really interact with the plant, you don't get to know the plant in its full form. Including its superior cupcake form. Any form is a good form. Although some are better than others. <laughs> Sean says we can all get closer to plants in our lives. Green thumbs or not. I encourage... All- every kid out there, every person out there to get a little bit more intimate with their plants, 
to really kind of smell it, sniff it, touch it, rub it, you know, really kind of understand it fully for what it is. And then maybe you can develop an appreciation um, for these plants that are so important to who we are as humans, right? If we go to space, we're taking plants with us. There's no, there's no us without plants. Well, that's true. I mean, we definitely wouldn't be here without so much diversity in plants. Imagine if we just had one type of plant and it was like kale. <laughs> Is kale not enough for you, Marshall? It would be all we'd have to eat. <laughs> no broccoli, no corn, no flower. I mean, I guess kale has flowers. <laughs> Imagine relaxing on a lawn full of kale, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, to have just one plant wouldn't work. It's a fact of life that plant diversity is essential for life on Earth. So it makes a lot of sense that people's diversity makes life on Earth better, too. You heard how Sean turned to Wikipedia, which is a free online encyclopedia, to dig deeper into the stories behind famous scientists and discoveries when they were a kid. Try it yourself with the help of an adult. With your grown-up, search for a scientist or a scientific discovery in Wikipedia. Read the article and look for mentions of other people that scientists might have worked with or who supported them. Click on the link and fall into a rabbit hole of information and tell us what interesting things you discover. Just email us at tumblepodcast at gmail.com. We always love learning about more fun facts, and I mean that, really. Yeah, I can't get enough. Thanks today to Dr. R. Sean Abrahams, PhD fellow at Yale University. To hear more from our interview with Sean, tune into our special bonus interview episode available to patrons who pledge $1 or more a month on patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. We'll also have free materials on the blog on our website to learn more about Sean and the Black Botanist featured on our show today. That's at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Sarah Robertson Lentz edited this show and designed the episode art. Elliot Hijaj is our production assistant. And Gary Calhoun James engineered and mixed this episode. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote this episode. I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all the music and sound design for this episode. Tumble is a production of Tumble Media. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. And now that it's over, we've got some birthday shout outs to give to our supporters on Patreon. Holly, your mom loves you so much. Keep thinking outside the box and happy birthday on February 5th. Caitlin Grace, happy birthday also on February 5th. Mom and dad love you and are so proud of the little scientist you're becoming. Mackie, keep showing up and being you. You're amazing. Mom and dad love you and happy birthday on February 8th. Happy birthday on February 8th to my baby sister, Alex. It's a big one this year. Happy birthday on February 12th to West, who loves all things science. We hope you have an out-of-this-world birthday. Sadie Jane, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. It'll be hard to reach with your feet on the ground, but I think you'll manage. Mommy and Daddy love you, and happy birthday on February 13th. Happy 10th birthday, Grayson, on February 13th. Mommy, Daddy, and Alex love you. Tahokan, happy birthday on February 15th from Mom and Papa. Your inquisitiveness and understanding of the world amazes us. Keep feeding your love of knowledge. Emmett, happy birthday also on February 15th to a great kid. Keep making awesome drawings. To Theodore, keep asking questions and seeking answers, and happy birthday on February 16th. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. 
If you want to get a birthday shout out of your own, like these fine folks, simply support Tumble on Patreon at the $5 level or higher by going to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Once again, that's patreon.com slash tumblepodcast.